0: So, we're going to have Eric come and speak tonight. I don't know exactly what he's preaching on, but I think it's going to be pretty fun. So, (laughs) oh, he said he has no piece of paper tonight. For those of you, this is your first time. He kept writing himself notes, and then I would read the note. So, (laughs) let's pray. God, we just thank you for what you're doing in our community. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of just your presence. And we ask God tonight that you would just speak to us and transform our understanding of who you are through revelation. Through what Eric's gonna speak. We love you. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Can you hear me? A little bit? No? There we go. There we go. Sweet. It's good to see you guys. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is Psalm 37:4. It says delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You might have that written on your wall or know that verse. Um, I'm a little extreme with the heart. Uh, if you know me, I'm like follow your dreams, your heart, your passion. Uh, and I've, I've kind of been that way for a long time. I had an employee about seven or eight years ago. And um, I was reading kind of books about cultivating dreams and cultivating the desires of your heart. So I took him to lunch, and he's a graphic designer. And um, I was like, I want to know your dreams. And like, tell me what's in your heart and follow your heart and, you know, what's in you. And he's like, I just want to do logos, man. He like, I totally, like, crushed him. <clears throat> and I just like overdid it, <laughs> you know, and... And that's a little bit of my personality, to overdo things, uh, but to probably be a little bit over the top on your heart. I'm kind of more of the, if it feels good, do it, you know, follow your passions. What's your passion? Are you changing the world? Are you kicking butt in Jesus' name? I'm like all those things. And when we think about where salvation comes from, where we think about and identify, where does Jesus live? Did you ask Jesus into your heart? Does Jesus live in your heart, Right? We identify with Jesus being in this place here. When I'm in El Salvador and, you know, you want to figure out these people know Jesus, I'm like, es Jesus Cristo en tu corazón, you know, see, sí? yeah? And that's about 40% of all Spanish I know. They say, yeah, see, sí, see sí, mi corazón, oh, perfect, yeah. Um, we identify with Jesus, <laughs> I need Spanish lessons, I get that. We, but we identify with Jesus in our heart. And that's all great, and I believe the Holy Spirit talks to us. He usually speaks to our heart. He doesn't like speak to our mind like, pow, here's some like, you know, factoid. It's usually, for me, it's this uprising. It's this feeling, and, and usually in language that we have, like in church, we'll say things like, man, it's confirmed on my heart. I just feel in my heart, brother. Like, you know, we, how's your heart, man? Like, you know, we say those things, and we, we make a lot of emphasis in the heart. We make a lot of emphasis on what is Jesus saying and speaking to your heart. There's only one problem, is this one thorny passage. It's Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, but the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we have a problem. As we have a culture, we have a church, you know, society, if you will, we have a, a body that, that derives confirmation from a source the heart. The Bible says might not always be trustworthy. Some of the best decisions in my life have been following my heart. The absolute best. I remember I was dating Camille. This is I was a junior in in college and um, I had a mentor his name is Sean Leonello. whenever I visit Santa Barbara I always go hang out with Sean and I'll never forget it because this is like the relationship like I've, I've messed up several relationships but I need to like not mess this one up because like I really like this girl and, uh, and she's quite a bit different um, she wasn't you know under my influence and spell like she was really hard to get she called herself the ice queen which um, I think it took about five or six months for her to like me but that's besides the point uh, but he coached me through that relationship and said something very specific. And when I would, like, ask, like, hey, I'm, I'm really wrestling with this. This is what my heart is, like, on fire for this. And he coached me through understanding the callings and the speakings of your heart. And he said, when it's confirmed in your heart, believe that it's gonna be confirmed on her heart. Probably about five or six times at pivotal points in a relationship, when it's confirmed in your heart, believe and ask that it's confirmed on her heart. I followed this pattern all the way through about a year and a half of dating. We didn't speak about marriage a single time. And I then proposed. Not only that, is that we didn't talk about marriage because I was like, I really feel like I, I want to ask her to marry me. But how do you like ask someone if they'll marry you without kind of like soft proposing? You know, it's like, hey, if I was hypothetically was to propose to you, would you say Yes. I'll buy a ring then, but you know, you know. So it's like this: you're hedging your bet, kind of. So we have that. Um, But not only did I not bring up the subject with her and follow my heart, when I asked her dad for permission, he said, after about three hours, "You have my permission," which is another story. You have my permission, but I don't think she'll say yes. (laughs) Thanks for the encouragement. you have my permission. I don't think she'll say yes. And all along, I'm sitting here like, if you feel it's confirmed in your heart, believe it's confirmed in her heart. And so I walked into our proposal with never talking about marriage, never talking about, would you like to spend the rest of your life with me? How many kids do you want to have? Like, we, we avoided all those topics and subjects. And I went into like, I, I know you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Will you marry me? And clearly she said Yes. And it wasn't like, uh, you know, long, well, let me think about it. It was like, yeah. Like, I was like, this is amazing. And so for the, the, the first time, I witnessed from start to finish what it is like to have this confirming sensation of the heart that like burns and just affirms what you believe God is saying. And all the scriptures that I read, like it just was rising up. And I, I, I cannot tell you how powerful it was to link with the Holy Spirit with your heart and chase it and find the outcome that you want. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. All my worst decisions in life have also been confirmed by my heart. My greatest victories confirmed in my heart. My greatest failures confirmed in my heart. What's hard is that We identify with God's voice in our heart, but because God's voice has been right in our heart, it's hard to determine when the heart is wrong. When we have that link, it's very easy to have anything that comes into your heart and anything that you feel to be rubber stamped as Jesus, and have everything that comes through that to be, this is what God is saying, this is what I feel confirmed, this is what I must do, this is what I have to do. And so I'm not afraid to admit that I've misheard God many times. I've heard God many times. But I'm not afraid to admit that I've misheard God many times. And as I engage with people who talk about hearing God's voice and talk about hearing the Holy Spirit, I don't trust people who say they've never heard wrong. If you want to know whether someone hears from Jesus or not, you should ask them, tell me about a time you thought you heard from him and you're wrong. How do you know if it's right if you don't know what's wrong? If everything you hear is always right, I tell you you're setting yourself up to be deceived. And so as I think about God's voice in my life, there's so many things that now come into play because now the scripture lets me on the secret. The heart is deceitful of all things and beyond cure. Let me tell you about one of the one I was talking to Camille last night about. Which one of these stories is the worst? <laughs> I'm actually had a, a different one. I'm uh, a freshman at Westmont College. Westmont is in Santa Barbara. Um, I'm from Portland, Oregon, which is where all the rain comes from down here. I want to send it back up there, which I successfully did today. I have a programmer who's in Portland. He's like, "Thanks for sending the rain back." I was like, "No problem." So I'm from Portland. And I grew up on um, a farm, um, had a great community of friends. I was really involved in riding dirt bikes. I had a lot of good times there. Um, And so uh, I moved to California, go to Santa Barbara, go to school. I have no idea what I want to do. I moved there, and there's, you know, 500 people in my class, which is small. I get that. But sometimes it being that small is actually worse because it, it doesn't allow you to, like, hide. So I'm in like a school that's a total size of about 1,300 people. My class is about 400 or so. And so I can't just like hide and blend. I'm like in the dorms all four years ultimately. But I'm in a dorm, and everybody has a place. Where are you from? I'm from Orange County. Where are you from? I'm from San Diego. Where are you from? I'm from Boulder. You know, I'm from Portland, you know, which is annoying because Portland now is all hip. What's up with that? So I'm from the lamest city ever. It was true at the time. And uh, I didn't know where to fit in. I had awful anxiety. I had terrible insecurities. I enrolled in a business course with a professor that basically was a military sergeant in accounting. I realized that I, the gene that allows you to do simple accounting was not gifted to me at creation. I'm just getting my rear end whooped all in school. I'm just struggling upon struggle upon struggle I, I wasn't planning on a chance, but I will. Um, my entire life, I've been plagued with homesickness. I am a, going as a freshman to college, and I'm crying because I'm homesick. Isn't that terrible? I don't, I don't know what it was. like. Well, actually, I do know what it was, tracing back from some Christ life stuff, which was very interesting. But my entire life, I've just had this like, Death grip of fear and homesickness. That just defies reason. I was like the only kid at like outdoor school that was like crying for his mom. He's like, I want to go home, you know. And so like here I am. I'm 18 years old. I'm in school. Everyone's having fun, learning to surf, doing cool things, around the beach, playing beach volleyball. And I'm like, you know, crying for my mommy. I'm miserable. And to top it off, I have an old girlfriend back home. That's like my only little shred of of security. So you know what naturally happens? I'm like, oh, I just feel God calling me out of this place. (laughs) I prayed about it. I went to church. I like studied the word. And every place I went is confirming in my heart, I have to leave. I got to go. God's just leading me out of here. It's confirmed in my heart. There is nothing more true than for me to leave there. And I began to plot my course. I began to like, look at other schools in Portland. I began to come up with reasons why Westmont wasn't good and why I didn't have the acute major that I wanted and why I needed to go there and why you know, that place is so much better and why all these people are miserable and these people go get drunk on the weekends. Isn't that terrible? You know, and like, I had all these reasons, right? I thought everyone was fake and superficial. I didn't know what I was doing. I was miserable on all accounts, and the strongest feeling I had was to get myself out of there. My heart was just like, get me out, get me out, get me out, get me out. It was probably the strongest feeling I've ever felt for the longest period. I couldn't sleep at night. And my folks, my parents who were spending a stinking fortune to send me there, like, you're gonna stay there for a year. <laughs> There's no refund policy halfway through. This is October. I'm like two months in. And so I came home during like, the winter break. I looked at schools. I'm like, I'm going to move. I'm going to do it. I'm going to come back. And they, they had me stay through. I'll spare you the rest of that story, but ultimately, I ended up staying. And now, looking back on it, I, I recognize that time period is one of the times where my heart, in the most vivid and compelling and convincing terms, was lying to me. It was deceiving me. And so tonight I want to share from that experience a few things that I learned about when your heart deceives you. What does it look like? What does it sound like when your heart deceives you? Next week I'm going to give you the antidote. But tonight I just want to share from that experience, that story, the cues for me now at this stage. When I know something's fishy in my heart when these things are going on. So I'm going to give you a few of them. And the first is this. It's the coincidence of events. The coincidence of events. What do you mean? The most confusing times in my heart have been when I am reacting to something else. When all of a sudden life changes, there is a a different place where you are brought into a new place, a new school, a new time, a new challenge, a new relationship, an old relationship. When there's something that happens and then you react with your heart, there's a coincidence. Are you having desires and emotions in your heart come naturally just out of no um, new event? Or is it being reactionary to your current circumstances? When you feel anxious or uncomfortable, you should stop, you should start watching your heart because it may start to deceive you at that time because when you get uncomfortable, your heart looks for ways to medicate it, to be comfortable. And so when I find myself in circumstances and situations where I'm out of my comfort zone, where I'm not having fun, when I'm, it's not about me and when I'm not enjoying it, you know what happens is all of a sudden my heart starts telling me all about this medicine that I should take to make me feel comfortable. Well, if you just had this, it'd be better. Yeah, heart, that sounds good. And you have to watch when your heart speaks that it's not out of reaction to your situation or your circumstances. So ask yourself... Is this a natural response? Is this a natural desire? Is this something that's being um, raised up in me by ordinary circumstances, or am I being driven? Am I running from something else? Is something else inspiring this? It's funny how, when there's a lucrative opportunity, another failed venture, Uh, it's funny when a, a lucrative opportunity comes along like oh, I feel God calling me to this. You know? <laughs> hey, I want to pay you hundred thousand dollars. I just feel Jesus calling me to this job. You know, like it's amazing. I had this business venture to go into private equity investing. I mean, like there is no category that has bigger dollar signs than private equity. We do multi. Like I-, I teamed up with this mega millionaire guy who's bought and sold tens of millions of dollars worth of companies. He's done probably near a billion dollars of the volume. And he comes to me and two buddies like, I want to start a private equity firm with you. We're going to buy companies. We're going to turn them around. We're going to get them healthy. We're going to sell them. And we're all going to become gazillionaires. Like, I, yes, Jesus, I feel you calling me. It's amazing how a lucrative opportunity like that, see what I mean? A coincidence of events where all of a sudden, oh, my heart, it's been here all along. It's common for confrontation in a relationship to say, you know, I just feel God calling for us to have some space. It's common for a hot new guy to make you feel like you just want to be single for a little bit and break up your other relationship. It's common for tough circumstances to lead you to say, God's calling me to this other thing that's much easier. I'm just going to drop out of school. I just feel God calling me to like just being a season of rest from school. I said that all the time. Like when I was in third grade, (laughs) it's like, no, that's not gonna work. So ask yourself, is there a coincidence of events in when your heart speaks to you? The second thing is this is you have your mind made up. When you have your mind made up in a really quick amount of time. And essentially that you believe without a doubt that you know what to do. You know someone's heart's deceiving them when they have made up their mind in a split second. Proverbs 14, verses 12 and 15 says this, that there's a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It says that naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. The heart is deceitful above all things. There is ways that seem right to man, but ultimately leads to death. Uh, Are you guys familiar with strength finders? So, uh I, one of my strengths is called self-assurance, which is basically like the douchebag strength, which basically means, which basically means that I'm like really sure of my opinion. That's so basically what it means. It means that I have an unusual amount of confidence in what I believe should happen. It's a leadership quality, but it's kind of like a little douchey on the other side too. And that's a hard thing for me because I hate the word wait. I hate the word let's hold off. I hate the word later. I want to go now. I want to go yesterday. I thrive off of momentum. And when I have an idea, it's really hard for me to come off the idea. When I think something really should be done, the most difficult thing for me to do is to, like, dialogue about whether it's right. And so I suffer from this, this notion of, like, I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. And it's, just, it's a God-given um, strength that he's given me because I, I feel really certain on direction. I think it makes me a good leader about 90% of the time, and about 10% of the time makes me a jerk. But one of the things I've learned about my heart is that my heart will deceive me sometimes in that because I'll feel a pining in my heart, and because of my self-assurance, and I have a, a track record of being right several times, I'm like, oh, I'm all about this, when actually my heart's deceiving me. But what I notice about when you make up your mind, when you take that hard line, you say, I'm right and nothing else is going to come. You have made yourself unteachable. When your mind is made up, you have declared yourself unteachable. You have zero submission to authority. And you have zero humility for how your life affects others. No topic and no issue in your life should absolutely be completely made up within a split second without regard to counsel. You know what happens when you confront somebody, when you, like, you're, you're talking with somebody, you're like, hey, I don't know if that's exactly right. You know what the, the default reaction is for someone who does not like your advice? They split. I can tell you how many people have been in here, been part of our community, and some issue comes up, We lovingly guide them like, hey, we believe that that this is God's truth. He's made it pretty clear on this this topic. You know what happens? Oh, yeah, 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 cool, cool. They're gone. And they go into isolation. They just completely go dark, off the radar, 100%. And they choose to go isolate themselves in the dark and make the decision that they really want for themselves. But here's the thing that I've learned about that, because I've done that too, is that the decisions you make in the darkness will cause consequences in the light. The decisions in which I ran into darkness to make by myself has always created circumstances and consequences in the light. And what's amazing about this is that people are quick to go reject you, to go make their decision, but when it gets messed up, they want you to help them clean it up. I say that you should have strong opinions. This is my mantra now about the self-assurance. Is I want to be, I want to have strong opinions that are loosely held. I want to be like, I want to have conviction. I don't want to be wishy-washy. I'm not advocating, you know, paralysis by analysis, any of that stuff. But I, I think you should have strong opinions that are loosely held. And if you ask yourself right now: When was the last time you uttered the words, "You know what? You're right." <laughs> you know what? You're right. If you haven't said those words in a month, you might want to get some new friends. Or you might just want to start thinking about what you're doing. If you don't have that phrase in your life recently, either you need new friends or two, um, I think you just need to change your mentality for a while, what you have got planned for yourself and how strong you have that. Number three is that you believe there's only one solution. When the heart is going to deceive you, it's going to deceive you in such a way that it thinks that there's only one outcome, there's only one solution, there's only one way out. And that's the, the trick with lies, is that it tries to isolate you and make you think of the single way and if a lie can convince you there's only one way, it's pretty compelling because what a lie does when it, it's able to convince you there's only one way is you do not consider the other options. You don't consider the other alternatives. And so the absence of choice will make you feel powerless. And if you feel powerless, you're going to surrender to the only thing that you see. And that's why so many people, like, they just, oh, this is the only way out. This is the only thing. I'm just going to do this. Uh, the truth of life is that there's not only one way out. There's not. There's always more than one choice. But here's the thing: is that people think there's only one choice. It's because they don't like the alternative choices. We have someone who is really, really, really picky about a job, like really picky. And like, you know, and they're like, oh, we just pray for us. We're like out of options. And like, "Mm, you know, there are more options. You just don't like them. You know, like you're totally employable. Like, there's other things you can do. I know that, that you don't like that scenario. I'm, I've teed up jobs. I've, like, almost borderline lied on behalf of this person for a job. Like, this is the greatest person ever. I couldn't work with them, but they're the greatest person ever. <laughs> you should hire them. Okay, cool, cool. You know, I just don't know. Like, uh, it's kind of a weird, you know, like, I don't know if it's just really me. You know? <laughs> All right, enjoy unemployment, I guess. I don't know. Like, come on. There's not just one way. We have to have a mindset that there's just, there's multiple ways. But along with multiple ways, sometimes we're not going to like the consequences. We're not going to like the other options, and that's all right. The fourth thing is that the rationale, or the justification, if you will, is complicated and lengthy. When I wanted to leave Westmont, I had a laundry list of excuses I had um, things like, oh, the major, oh, you know, the, the partying. I just feel really condemned. I don't, I don't fit in. I feel like these, re- I had two roommates that when we went there, they were just like party hogs. They were like all about it. And I was like really judgy. And so that was like really miserable for me. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe they're going to cause me to sin. You don't want me to sin, do you? You know, like I had all the reasons in the world to leave. I came up with with the crazy, you know, issues with professors. I came up with, you know, I wanted this career. I could be home. I can do all these different things. And you can smell a lie by its complexity. You can always smell a lie by its complexity. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just working on this because um, I was late for that and so like, traffic was really bad so I, I had to take the side streets and then I, I came over here and so then I was going to work on that, but then that didn't work out so I started doing this and, and, and so that was going okay, yeah, that's what I'm doing. You know, like, I'm just, you know, just saying hello, man, like, what's going on? You can always smell a lie by the length and complexity that's required to justify it. And so as you think about your heart deceiving you, ask yourself, why this? If you begin to come up with all these dozens and tens of reasons to justify it, what suggests that your heart might be deceiving you? On the things that I felt my heart be confirmed on were the most simple things. And where my heart was deceiving me, I began to come up and invent reasons. Because a laundry list of reasons is better than truth. That's the tricky thing. Truth is simple. But when your heart is deceiving you, you'll think, well, I can outweigh the simple truth by this laundry list of justifications that make no sense. The other thing is that the justifications will change over time. Surefire way that you know when your heart's lying to you is what you really believe is the reason for what you desire, when that is different from what you tell people. I actually was pretty ashamed. Like, the reason I wanted to go home, yes, I was miserable. I was pretty bad in accounting. I, yes, I had tough roommates. Yes, I had a tough time fitting in. Yes, I was insecure. But you know what? I was really homesick, and the only source of security I had was at home and with a girlfriend, which all those were in Portland. But I said, oh, you know, I just, I want a different major. I want to be, like, cultivated in creativity, and there's no creativity here, you know? Like, I had all those things. That was my public line, but if I was truthful about why I really wanted to go, it's because I was horribly homesick and I wanted to be back with my old girlfriend. Thank you, Jesus, I didn't do that. It was the best thing ever. But that, as I look back, I was, like, convicted. It's like, I'm not honest with myself about what really drives me. Because if I said that, I would get counseling to, like, stay. Like, someone would give me wisdom, you know, like, they give me truth, and then maybe I would stay, and I didn't want that. So I customized my reasons and my justifications to be not in debate, to be this laundry list. Well, I got 47 reasons why I should do this. Perfect. It's funny how you'll go to great lengths to justify what you really want. It's like, sweetie, so, I want a new dirt bike. Why do you want a new dirt bike? Well, it makes me happy, and, and when I'm happy, I, I Do more dishes, and I I do more laundry, and and then we don't live in a pigsty, and you don't live in a pigsty, do you? So if you don't want to live in a pigsty, I should get a dirt bike, you know? Like that's how some of our rationale goes. We really want something, and that produces a blindness to the alternative perspectives and alternative scenarios. The next one is that there's an unusual sense of urgency, an unusual sense of urgency. Lies of the heart thrive on fear. And they thrive on fear of time. Nothing in this life and nothing in this world has to happen right now, unless you're in an operating room or holding something with a fuse. Everything else doesn't have to be right now. It's amazing how many decisions we'll want to make right now. We're all about the now, we're all about go, like, you know, and I have the mantra like, shoot. Ready, aim. Like, that's, like, kind of more my style. I'm more of, like, let's go, you know, but but I'm, I'm good with that in certain realms, but I can't apply that model to the most important decisions in life. And what we need to have is when we have desires of our heart, we actually need to give it time. I'm a firm believer that time reveals all things. Like, we, we see some, like, kind of messed up stuff, Camille and I do, both um, friends and otherwise and other people, and we just, like, sit back and we watch and And we see things and like, yeah, that that kind of is lame, but but we come back and say, we believe time reveals all things. And it's really comforting to us. That's been the thing for us that has given us security where we want to like react. We want to do something. It's like, no, time reveals all things. The final thing is that you over-spiritualize it. Someone got convicted. You over-spiritualize it. You know what this sounds like? Hey, um, I don't know if you really should do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Thanks for the input. I prayed about it, and God said I need to do this. Did you just pull the God card on me? Yeah? Well, bam! What are you going to say now? I mean, when someone says, oh, no, 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 spare me your advice, I've already heard from God. I'm like, okay, um... Thanks? Like, what do you do? Is there any comeback to, no, I've already heard from God on it, Um, and you're not God. So, what do you want to talk about? Pulling the God card is the single favorite way for a Christian to shut down dialogue about a decision. Pulling the God card is the single favorite way for a Christian to shut down dialogue about a decision. I am all about hearing from God. And trust me, there are people that say, I've heard from God. I'm like, tell me what it was like. I'm like, I believe you. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And there's other times when it's just a ruse to shut down the dialogue. I actually don't want any input. So if I don't want any input from you, I'm like, hey, hey, I, I prayed about it. God confirmed it in my heart, and I've heard from Jesus. Now, what are we going to say? Because I'm not listening anymore. You know, that's how it is. And I really hate it when that is is done, because here's the thing, one is it, it, for the majority of it, when people say that, what they thought and wanted didn't work out. And so I don't necessarily care, you know, necessarily didn't work out, but here's what I do care about, is that when you have people who say, I've heard from God and are wrong, it makes a mockery of the real voice of God. And I want people to actually really say, hey, this whole thing about Jesus out there living in your heart, you know, the Holy Spirit being united with you, you, that he speaks. Like, I want people to believe that. And when people pull the God card and say, oh, I heard from God and it doesn't work out, and clearly God didn't speak, it makes a mockery of the things that I hold really dear to me that I think are key and instrumental. And so I I don't mean to, I I know that, I've said that a million times. If, If you're feeling beat up on that, don't. Because I've said it (laughs) a lot. I'm just being honest with you. Is that we need to carefully respect the voice of God. But we also need to know that, you know, one of my favorite passages is 1 Corinthians 2.16. It says, and when I'm praying with people, I'll I'll pray and declare, you have the mind of Christ. That's what 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, you have the mind of Christ. That's what I say. But you know what the word actually says? It says, we have the mind of Christ. We. Means I have part of it. I, I do have the mind of Christ, but so do you. And so when, when someone says, No, I've, I've heard from God and, and he's already told me, it's like, Well, he told me something else. So which is it? Because for me to say, I have the exclusive monopoly on the mind of God and the voice of God, and you're not included, is actually not biblical. We're designed to be in submission to authority. Why? It's because we collectively share the mind of Christ. We collectively share wisdom, and that's why it's important we have a loosely held fit. We say, "Hey, I have one piece of this, and this is what I feel. I feel that Jesus has brought me here, but I, do you see something here?" The most powerful words you can say to any other Christian is that, "Are you seeing something I'm not seeing?" You can say, "I feel I've heard from God, I feel this, but are you seeing something else? I recognize you also have the mind of Christ. Do you see something else that I'm missing?" The most powerful people I see that are are growing are asking the questions, am I missing something in my life that you can tell me about? That's an attitude for growth. And when you have the biggest decisions of your life and you're asking, am I missing anything, you are setting yourself up for an awesome set of decisions. Now, those things are irrational and reactionary. Those are my story. Those are the things that were in my heart. And um, what I needed at my life was the honest truth that my heart was lying to me. But I never knew that my heart could lie to me. And um, so what I want to do next is to ask what the Bible says about dealing with a lying heart. How do you listen to your heart and not get tricked into, into deception? And not only that, how do we make great decisions in life? Your life should be a model for other people to replicate. Discipleship is based upon your life works. Replicate your life among other people. And so I'm going to get into that next week. I love you guys.
0: So I was sitting next to Eric's uh, better half or other half. And she said two things, I want to tell you. The first one, when he told the story about he proposed, or he said I proposed, and we never talked about marriage, she leaned over to me and said, I don't recommend that to anyone. So I wanted to clarify that for all of you. And the second thing she said was when Eric said, was talking about um, consequences. Had he chosen to go back to Portland, none of us would be sitting here. If God has touched your life and you've grown through what's happened in the last couple of years at Epic Life, had he made that choice, that would not have occurred. Doesn't mean that God wouldn't have used someone else. And so I want to encourage you if sometimes, and we want to take care of your heart, but we also respect you as sons and daughters of God enough to speak truth. Today, I've been having a lot of trouble with my cell phone. I dropped it and cracked the screen. It's very frustrating to me because I don't like things like that. I want everything to work well. And it got slower and slower, and I was like, I have got to trade this thing in. And then today, I took my cell phone to someone uh, named Arshak, and he gave me a new screen. And my phone is working so fast. It, It was amazing. And I was sitting here listening to Eric and I was like, a lot of us come to these Thursday nights and our screens are cracked. And we don't know it because we're used to looking at that. But when you come here on a Thursday night, unless you're absolutely stupid, and I didn't meet anyone tonight who looks stupid to me, you get some truth. And it helps you replace your screen. That's really what we're about. So it's so important that you don't feel any shame over anything that's ever said here because that's not our intent. It's so important that if you get truth, reach out and grab it to you and bring it into your heart. Because when you get truth and you bring it into your life, your life will never be the same. There's not like this one moment where God gives you this truth and you like bring it into your heart. And then all of a sudden, you know, the hallelujah chorus breaks out and people see angels all around you and gold starts falling above your head. That's not how it works. It's one conversation after another conversation. Eric and I are not only work together in this ministry, but he's one of the closest friends I have. Today we had a lunch conversation where he practiced this very thing. I practiced the same thing. I disappointed myself recently. He asked very honest questions. I asked him about something that I was had become aware of it wasn't as big as I thought it was but he goes if you see something I'm missing I want you to tell me because I don't want to miss it you need people like that if you don't have that and you've been coming for a while I want to encourage you step up we have small groups they're in the email don't come here week after week and say I can't make friends you got to show up to get one. And when you show up, you have to open your mouth. You know, shake somebody's hand. You know, you come here about three times, you ain't new. So come early if you don't have any friends. Stand over there by the blue surfboard where Eric and I have started standing every Thursday night. And look for new people. And if you'll just show interest in someone beside yourself and stop thinking about yourself... It's amazing. That's how you make friends. Did you say be nice? Oh, that's Camille. Okay. Um, so if I was too truthful, forgive me. But the more that you, the cracks get worked out of your screen, the better your cell phone's going to work. And that's what we love to do. We love to just see people grow up in the Lord. So if you're here tonight and there's any way that we can pray for you or minister to you, um, we would love to do that. If the worship band can go up. And if you want to stand with me, um, we, we love to pray with people. We, um, we do ask if you're not on our prayer team and you're not at the front not to pray for people tonight. And the reason we ask that is because we, under, we know the lives of the people who are actually up here at the front, if the prayer team can come up. And we also know the level of breakthrough. It's important that people who pray over your life have breakthrough themselves because they can't help you get anywhere, and they don't have authority if they haven't earned that in their private lives. We're not perfect, I can tell you that. Not at all but we live in humility with each other and honesty. So we're going to spend some time um, worshiping a little bit. Uh, We do believe that you have to not only pray together but party together. And so you don't have to leave. If you want to talk, making friends is as important as getting prayer. We're going to be talking and making friends at the back. We're going to be praying up here. So do whatever you need tonight. Bless you guys.